Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com here with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. Thanks for joining us again as we head into actually a football season. The Ohio State Buckeyes hosting Bowling Green in Ohio Stadium on Saturday at noon. Don't bring a big bag. If there's nothing else that you listen to this week, don't bring a bag. Like backpacks are outlawed now. Nothing bigger than a purse. A clutch. Um, a clutch. Clutch. Yeah, not even a purse. It's like the size of a half of a piece of printing paper. Eight inches by five inches. And it can only be one inch thick. We're just providing a public service here because if you show up with the bag, they're going to make you go give your bag away or something. So um, <laughs> don't bring a bag, but do listen to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes uh, under Buckeye Talk, and you certainly can find us at cleveland.com slash OSU along with everything we do. Covering the Buckeyes, and this week it's uh, our podcast is part of our series this week about Ohio State being the most indestructible team in college football. We have grabbed that word indestructible to talk about not how Ohio State tries to get to the top, but how a team like Ohio State avoids the bottom. And we're not talking national championships, we're not talking Big Ten titles, we're not talking NFL draft picks, we're talking not stinking. Can I say suck on a podcast? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, I, there, I listen to uh, podcasts within the other advanced network, and they use profanity, so you can say suck. Oh, man. People love to swear. I'll tell you, man, like the Ringer podcasts and stuff yeah. that Bill Simmons and those guys do, they just F-bomb it all over the place, and I find it very unappealing. Just because you can swear doesn't mean you have to swear. They do a, a political podcast that I really like it. And they, they say the F word all the time. And I say the F word all the time in real life, but I don't want to say it on a podcast. I think we could get away with it. No, maybe not. We're not going to test the waters, but Doug has a filthy mouth. He, <laughs> he dresses, acts, and uh, writes like Mr. Rogers, but don't let him fool you. Do you have the ability to beep something, Bill? Because I would love to lean in and say, I do have an effing <laughs> filthy mouth. No, I don't. Have you beep it? I don't have that ability, no. Okay, so we'll talk Ohio State and how the Buckeyes have managed to avoid this. We have a lot of content up there. Ari wrote a great story uh, Monday explaining this, talking to Big Ten coaches about it. Bill has been talking to experts around the country uh, who cover Alabama and Texas and Michigan and talking about how programs like that – that are so similar to Ohio State in many ways have not been able to avoid sort of those drops. And I think our distinction here is not a drop for a year because you can have a bad year, but it's being down for at least two years, hitting a lull where your team is not competitive 
for multiple seasons. And Ohio State, you can find this on our site, cleveland.com slash OSU. But if you haven't found this story yet, they have not had consecutive losing seasons since 1923 and 1924. That is that is unbelievable to me. I think they've had six losing seasons total since then. Not consecutive losing seasons in in coming up on a hundred years. Like Bill, is that and that's the best in the country of major power conference teams. Is that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty absurd. Um because even, like you said, I've been talking to people around the country who cover Texas. And I think if you thought long and hard about it, you wonder, like, well, when's the last time that happened in Texas? The answer is the last two years, last decade. I, it, I think it is shocking that that number uh, is out there for earlier than that. I didn't think that the numbers would be even that staggering. That's a crazy number. Ari, are you, do you think Ohio State had consecutive losing years? Or on some level, is that what you would expect? That's what you expect, I think. But, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not Jack Park. I don't really know what it was like to play college football and what their competition level was like in 1943. I think now if Ohio State had back-to-back <coughs> losing seasons, that would be pretty dramatic just based on what we know about the program that they've built and the way that they've kind of been consistently at the top. Because losing seasons means seven losses. And at Ohio State, a three-loss season is not good enough. So, um, I mean, just to the sense that 90 years is a long time for everything, if you think about 90 years and how much the world has changed and the things that have happened within the world in the last 90 years, I mean, it's crazy. But I don't necessarily think that in the frame of Ohio State's status in college football that it's that absurd to think out loud that maybe, hey, they haven't lost twice in a row or had two losing seasons two years in a row. I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty absurd. That's a long time. Yeah, I mean, I guess World War II happened (laughs) more recently than that. So, I mean... yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean like, I'll, I'll give, I'm going to give you two choices, you guys, two choices at the moment. Um, actually, maybe it's not even two choices. It's one question. How much does that have to do with the competition or lack of competition in the Big Ten Conference um, that there are enough teams – on a yearly basis that they just beat that. Yeah. We know Michigan's a good program and we know that, um, I mean, I don't even, I mean, Michigan state, you know, was good in the sixties and now, but how much is that just, you had teams in this conference where Ohio state was going to beat them every year unless something crazy happened. And then the result is 90 plus years of winning records. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that has to be, yeah. it has to be part of it, obviously. Like Ohio state has been a very dominant college football program for a long time, but, They've been in the Big Ten that entire time, and the Big Ten obviously is not the um, is not chock full of traditional college football powers. Even if they lost to Michigan every now and then, they still have to lose, lose five other games. Five other games, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's actually a huge part of it. I mean, it's just the whole thing of like ninety years is a long time, but if you played seventy years against eight out of your twelve games or against teams that were physically and were physically incapable of beating you, then it's not that impressive. If you just kept winning the same. Thing over and over again for 90 years. I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself out of it. Uh, but, um, you know, if they do it for another 90 years, then I'll be more impressed. <laughs> no, they did. The like, honestly, like, the, back to us in the, question should, the question should be like in 2035, if Ohio State still, or 2045, if Ohio State still hasn't had back to back losing seasons, I think the college game now has almost 
evened out enough across the board and the way things are going where it'd be more impressive. I just think that they've played bad schedules for a hundred years. <laughs> Ari just took a swipe at a, a hundred years of Big Ten football. Well, it was like Illinois, like was that like a tough no. game in 1955? No, like again, I don't even know if they existed in 1955. And we and we talked about this, uh, I think, in previous weeks. I mean, there's just. You just go through Indiana and Purdue and Northwestern and Illinois, and there's just all these teams where you look and say, oh, Ohio State's won 63 of the last 65 games against these teams, and they have that throughout the Big Ten. Um, I think the most interesting part of this is trying to theorize how it would change and what would have to happen for Ohio State to hit a lull. Um, we're gonna. We want your input on that. We want you to go to cleveland.com slash OSU and give us your scenarios for how this could ever change, because when Ari asked coaches at the Big Ten meetings in July about this, they almost laughed at the idea of Ohio State no, being down. <laughs> not almost, yeah. literally did laugh at the idea of Ohio State being down for an extended period of time. But before we get to that question, which I, I think is so interesting, from a recruiting standpoint, Ari and Bill, when you look at Ohio State, and we are comparing them to other powers, but for instance, a school like Alabama has Auburn in state. A school like USC has UCLA just a couple miles away in the same city. Um, a school like Florida State has Miami and Florida right there in the state battling for for that in-state talent. A school like Texas, when they got down, when they had trouble with Mac Brown tailing off at the end of his tenure, TCU and Baylor were right there Texas A&M, they were all in the same state ready to pounce on that. Is Ohio State as the only major team in Ohio, and we can get to a Cincinnati in a minute, is Ohio Ohio State uniquely situated that maybe we should not be that surprised because they are, have two things going on, which is A, they are in a powerful recruiting ground, and B, they don't have another school right next door at the same level Trying to battle them. See, there's only one other. There's two other schools that I can think of that are in the same scenario. One is Rutgers, and I forgot about Rutgers when I asked Chris Ash that question, and he goes, "There is another school. It's called Rutgers." Like very sarcastically, which is probably going to be the lead to one of my stories this week. Um, and the other I mean, is, we've. Well, uh, I phrased the question to Chris Ash at Big Ten, Big Ten meetings oh. in Chicago. I said, "Is Ohio State?" less susceptible to being down than other programs because it's the only program in the country that has a talent-rich state to itself. And wow. he goes, and that was really stupid of me. Like, I'm an idiot. But it got a great answer then. Right. It got a great answer. Because, like, here's the distinction and the way I explained it to Chris Ash. I said, Ohio State's established a little bit differently. Like, even though Rutgers is still its only state school in a talent-rich state, Ohio State in Ohio is not the same thing as Rutgers in New Jersey. Maybe you build towards that, and that's what you want to build towards, but you can't put it in the same sentence. Whatever. It was a social faux pas. I no, made a mistake. But it, that's why Rutgers is a good job, because in an ideal situation, said, it is very comparable. He said, I'll give you another example. It's called Rutgers. That's why I came here. That was the quote. <laughs> that's a great quote. He, he gave you that attitude, too? He gave me a little yeah. toot. He should. Um, which probably he should have. That's good. That's why they hired him. But the other one um, in Ohio State's same situation as LSU. And that's an interesting place because Louisiana has a ton of talent. And I think that, you know, there are certain things that it's, it's not all apples to oranges because 
LSU also has Florida and Alabama coming in there, and Ohio State has Michigan and Michigan State to a certain extent. That's not Nick Saban and Florida and Florida State coming into your state for your talent. You're alone, and you get most of the talent the way Ohio State gets most of it, but I don't necessarily think um, that it's the same exact scenario. Now, we don't have LSU in the series, um, and I don't know if maybe that was an oversight on my part, but LSU has been down the last few years to LSU standards, and they are in a similar situation from with Ohio State um, uh, talent-wise and state-wise from a recruiting standpoint. So that's an interesting angle to look at. But but I do, I think you're ex- exactly dead on. But if you look, excuse me, 1998 and 1999 was when LSU most recent consecutive losing seasons. Those were the last two years of Jerry DiNardo as the head coach. Jerry DiNardo, now an analyst for the Big Ten Network that I'm sure most of our listeners have seen. Jerry DiNardo went four and seven and three and eight at LSU, which is hard to believe. And then that led to Nick Saban. And then Nick Saban was followed by Les Miles, and neither of those guys have had really problems winning. But I think that's part of the point that even at a place like LSU that has everything going for it, they still hit a lull. So, Bill, are you – what does it tell you that Ohio State hasn't had that? And the reason that 11, the one losing year that was directly caused by NCAA sanctions, you knew exactly why Ohio State didn't win that year, but Ohio State bounced back with a 12-0 record the next season. Had that hire in Jerry DiNardo that didn't work out. What does it tell us that Ohio State, going back to the 20s, hasn't had that? Um, before I answer that question, I just want to – Louisiana and LSU, LSU has a, a little even better than Ohio State has it. Um, there were 23, 21 four-star prospects in Louisiana in the class of 2016. There were 12 in Ohio. Louisiana is, I think, like immensely more talented than Ohio is. And even still, unless you had those back-to-back losing seasons uh, more recently than Ohio State, I think a lot of it, a lot of the conversations that I have with people around the country who cover these programs centered on coaching hires, um, with the exception of Texas, because I think that remains to be seen. Um, but certainly Michigan and Alabama, um, even for all the talent they had, and Michigan had talented teams. Brady Hoke recruited really well, um, and Rich Rod had a really good recruiting class too. It's they got the hires wrong and like sort of nullified the talent that they had on that roster. A- Alabama. Like recruited Sean Alexander during that decade where they were terrible, um, and they won one SEC championship in that time. But I think that it's Ohio State for the most part has been pretty good at hiring the right guy, right? I mean, even, I know well, Jim. They, Tra- have, they only have six coaches, right? Since nineteen fifty one, yeah, and one was Luke Fickle, who's only there for a year. So basically, they only had five. I mean, they've and they've pretty much nailed it almost every time they've had to hire a coach in their history, at least in the last fifty years. Um, and I guess you could nitpick and, and, and pull that apart a little bit for, especially compared to these other teams we're talking about. Like Alabama hired three Bows, Dennis Francione, and Mike Shula before they hired Nick Saban, and those three guys combined to go has been immune to this. Not only is it that they are in a talent rich place, um, the teams they've played have they've targeted and hired. Um, I don't know in the last sixty years. That's why if you like Bo Pelini coming off the two thousand, no, nothing but, against. But that's 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 stop. Hold on a second. Because that's, that's the game we're going to play. I want to play that game. Okay? So, But before we go too in-depth on Ohio State, right? 
Because I know exactly where you're going, and I, I'm very intrigued by where you're going, but I don't want to go there quite yet. <laughs> um, it is interesting about – I think the thing that is a little bit surprising is maybe the idea that those places like that can make a bad hire because yeah. you have so many other things in place with tradition and money from boosters and donors and facilities and f- fertile recruiting grounds right there and a good conference that you're in. How can you mess that up? But I can remember when I was a kid – my grandfather was a Notre Dame fan, and I can remember thinking, like, when was Notre Dame good? Like, that's weird to me. Hasn't Notre Dame always been terrible? Um, because I was growing up sort of in that mid-'80s time of the Jerry Faust era when Jerry Faust went 5-6, and 6-4-1, six, 7-5, six, and 7-5, and 5-6 and five, and five, and five and at Notre Dame, which led to Lou Holtz. But that was Notre Dame. Like, how could anybody mess up Notre Dame? Well, they messed it up by hiring a high school coach. You know, I, th- I do think, Bill, do you think the bad hires thing is the thing that maybe is the, I mean, maybe it's an obvious answer, but the thing that hangs over all this is the d- common denominator for a lot of these? Yeah, it's huge. And I'll just use Alabama as, as the example, but you can use it in other places. Like, they hired Mike DuBose, who was, who had one year of experience as a coordinator, and the reason they hired him, really the only reason they hired him is because fans liked him because he played for Bear Bryant. And if, like, that's the threshold of who you're going to hire for a coach, you're, like, welcoming problems. And they realized that was a problem, so they won the complete opposite end and hired Dennis Franchione, who had zero ties whatsoever to Alabama and bailed it for two years and went to Texas A&M. So I think there's, like, a happy medium you have to strike, which Ohio State kind of did when it got Urban Meyer. Um, but for a program like Alabama and others who have had these coaching hire blunders, I think that's – it starts from the top and it, fall, it goes down from there, right? So I think the coaching hires is what kind of kicks it all off. I remember talking to Jim Trussell about this when Michigan hired Rich Rodriguez. And I think a good point that Trussell made was you don't have to hire an alum. You don't have to hire someone who has worked at your school, but you have to hire someone who is a cultural fit. Now, if that means the person's been at the school as an assistant or as a player, that's great. But I think the person needs to understand the region, needs to understand the conference, needs to understand the people who support that team. And that means if you are um, in the SEC and you're hiring someone who's only coached in Minnesota, maybe that won't work. And maybe if you're hiring someone in the Big Ten and you hi- you're hiring someone who's only ever coached uh, in California, maybe that won't work. And I think Michigan did prove that in a lot of ways. But then they went back the other way and then they went all Michigan, man, with Brady Hoke in a response to Rich Rodriguez not being a fit and they got it wrong again. Um, so – I think I think that hiring thing is very interesting, and we'll get to that. I, I want to get to this and give this a lot of good time, the scenarios of how it could happen at Ohio State. But first, a fake ad. Uh, we shouted out Yankee Candle in a podcast with a fake ad. Uh, we talked a little bit about blizzards last week, but I, didn't, I don't think I talked up Dairy Queen quite enough. Uh, if Dairy Queen wants to go from fake ad to real ad here at Buckeye Talk, Ari, is there anything um, on your mind that you want to do a fake ad for? here in the middle of the podcast in an attempt to get a real ad here at some point? Lexus. Bill wants a Lexus. What co- What do you drive right now, Bill? <laughs> I drive a uh, Hyundai Elantra that is uh, designed for a 5'6 woman, and I'm a 6'5 and a half man. I don't fit in my own car. How luxurious do you think a Lexus would be? It'd be oh, I can only I can only dream because I've never been in one, but if it's anything like the Dodge Charger or the Ford Fusion... Uh, I believe it's probably like driving on a cloud. 
Can you beat driving You've a clown? You've never been a Lexus before? <laughs> I'm a middle class kid from Northeast Philadelphia. No, I've seen one. Lexus I've been in a Lexus, and uh, they're very luxurious. So we'll. Uh, but I guess we have to go with this podcast with the new campaign. Get Bill Landis in a Lexus. Yeah, yeah. A six foot five and a half GS five hundred F Sport, wow. and you will come back the following week and tell everybody how comfortable even I fit. In this beautiful ride, and that will be Landis will fit like a glove. It'll, it'll be, be perfect. It'll be like Shaq in his Oldsmobile commercials, even though he doesn't fit. There's no way that man fits. LeBron in James drives a K900 to the games. Yeah. Bill Landis drives a Lexus to Ohio State football games. All right, if we don't get Bill in a Lexus at least for a day, like a <laughs> rental car place could give us a Lexus yeah. for an hour. Shout out to Bill. Um, we have failed. Okay, I want to do this. The scenario in which Ohio State could have consecutive losing seasons. But before we get to the imaginary scenario, let's talk about maybe this scenario that actually could have been uh, that Ari was getting to before I cut him off. Uh, Ari, take us down the road that you were heading down about maybe the Ohio State that we could be living in right now if things were just a bit different. And I'm not mistaken. I think you've gone down this road in a story before, haven't you? I've broached the topic several times, yeah. But... So the tale of Ohio State is interesting because we're writing about how impossible it is for Ohio State to be susceptible to a down year or down period. And one of the four things that we, and we, we should mention the four things that we discussed could cause a downswing in your football is NCAA sanctions, recruiting or poor recruiting, um, other programs moving into your territory, which is a subsidiary of recruiting, but, you know, a different thing than recruiting mistakes. And what was the fourth one again? Bad hires. Bad hires. Bad, Bad hires. hires. Which, they all kind of play on each other, because if you recruit poorly, you lose your job, other people lose your territory, and then you can have a chance to have a bad hire. So they all kind of work together, um, but they're the four different things that we came up with. Now, Ohio State never had to be put to the test of bad hire, because in 2012, when the first thing happened, which is NCAA sanctions at the end of 2010 and 2011, um, they had an interim head coach in Luke Fickle, and the first domino fell on Ohio State's program. NCAA sanctions, recruiting restrictions, and being in trouble with the NCAA. Second part was losing the job. Jim Trussell losing his job, which then enacted the third thing of the potential for a bad hire. At this point, whoever is in charge of Ohio State's well-being up into the sky, and if there's a god, decided we're going to drop Urban Meyer down onto Columbus and make sure that nothing bad happens. But for as indestructible as Ohio State seems to be in the word that we used, they were really close to being in a really bad spot if it weren't for Urban Meyer. So the point that I was about to make was that what if Ohio State would have hired the wrong person in 2012 and Urban Meyer was not around? Maybe Urban Meyer liked his ESPN job too much and didn't want to get back into the coaching just yet. Who were Ohio State's options? Now, you were covering it here. I believe that Bo Pelini was one of the main names. Who were the other main names? I mean, I think, the, as I understood it, the main names were Bo Pelini or keeping Luke Fickle uh, if Urban Meyer wasn't around. And then, you know, beyond that, 
And again, if you don't know, Bo Pelini played at Ohio State, was a safety at Ohio State, a very good defensive player. So there was obviously that connection there. He was the head coach at Nebraska at the time, and it seemed like he certainly would have been very interested in that job. Um, and then I, I think beyond that, I think you just would have opened it up to anybody, you know, to Gary Patterson at TCU or, yeah. or any one of those guys who's a good coach at a good program who would have taken the Ohio State job and maybe – would not have necessarily had a connection. But I think Pelini and Fickle would have been the next guys right there at the top of the, of the list. And this isn't a podcast of saying, look how terrible of a coach Bo Pelini is. Uh, he did. He was at Nebraska at the time. He was fired at Nebraska. Now he's the head coach at Youngstown State. Professional nine-game winner. Professional nine-game winner, which at the you know very least of it would be 600 seasons or better. But that's not acceptable at Ohio State. And uh, you just have to wonder if Urban Meyer was not around, what would have happened? And it's hard to imagine that Ohio State would have bounced back in 2012 with a 12-0 season and recruited at the level they're recruiting, especially because what I do know about Bo Pelini is that he probably would have – with it, he's from Youngstown, am I right? Yes. yes. And that's why he's at Youngstown State. I think that he would have reverted back to the trestle model of recruiting, which is – 12 to 14 guys or whatever out of Ohio, and then the rest is national and Florida and a few other places. I think we have enough sample size at this point, and not to get too off track, but Urban Meyer recruits better than Jim Trussell. And I think that that was a... I'm going to interrupt you here for a okay. second, because I just want to make sure, but but we're not talking about what Ohio State have won a national title. We're not talking about what Ohio State be 50 and 4, Right. right? Do you think, I think if they had hired Bo Pelini, they would have had a losing record or been seven and five? They might have gone seven and five the following year after they went six and seven and began that. And then, and I use this in my lead. The verbiage in my lead of the story to introduce the series is in that patch between awfulness and, and national relevance, that irrelevant area of nine and, or eight and five. And I think that 2013, depending on, because a lot of guys that, contributed for those next few years at Ohio State were very big recruits. I don't think Ohio State would have gotten uh, under Polini, and I think that there's a very good chance that Ohio State could have slipped into that that era of mediocrity based on, you know, just what I know about Bo Polini and the way he might have attacked that job coming out of the gate. You know, and I'm not trying what, to be like... What do you think? <laughs> I, what, okay, so let me run down it quick. Bo Polini, as Bill said, nine wins. His record between 2008 and 2014 at Nebraska... Nine and four, ten and four, ten and four, nine and four, ten and four, nine and four, nine and three. Okay, so now that is not Urban Meyer level, but that is also not. I mean, that's good. I don't think we. the The point of this to me is that's still. I would qualify that as indestructible. That's not a program that's falling apart. You know, Michigan and Texas and Alabama, what they were, but those is much worse than that. What he would have had to be coming off of, so that's coming off of sanctions with a black cloud. Not just a black cloud. You lost your five most productive players from the previous season, didn't they? So, like, you don't have the the basis of what your team was. And of course, Ohio State did have Braxton Miller already signed and ready to go as a freshman that following year, but it was kind of a disaster. And I I know that Ohio State went twelve and zero, and I I'm not saying that Bo Pelini. There's no way he possibly could have gone nine and three in the same season. There's of course he could have. I just think that what Urban Meyer did that year was very impressive, and I'm not necessarily sure a coach that isn't – because, like, we agree that Urban Meyer is a top-five coach in college football right now, right? Yeah. 
Bo Pelini was fired and now is in the lower level of college football. So we can't compare what a top five coach, and that's being, you know, that's being modest about it, did in comparison to, you know, what I know, but, I, but that's, I just don't know. But we're not having a discussion about whether they would be. Do you, Bill, do you think they would have fallen off? Do you think we would not be talking about them this way if someone other than Urban Meyer was the head coach right now? I think coming off that season, coming off the Luke Fickle season, um, were they, they won seven games, right? They were six and seven. Six and seven they were six and six me. in the regular season. And they lost the Gator Bowl. You're six and seven. You're, you're under NCAA sanctions. You're postseason ineligible. Um, it's the darkest days of your program. I don't know if Bo Pelini is the guy who can rally people to Ohio State. And maybe it's not fair to be putting it all on Pelini. Well, I, th- I, mean, like I think that's, that's, well, that's the, the, the fake scenario we're yeah. talking about, and it's not—it's not even talking about whether or not they would have ever gone back to national championship level. I think it's—I can certainly envision a scenario where they're coming off a six and seven season, and Bo Pelini goes six and seven again, or he goes seven and five the next year, and maybe it's seven and five again the year after that. I don't know if he would have had the immediate impact that Urban Meyer had coming in in 2012. It was like almost like it, like nothing happened. I don't. I, I think that the the stench lingers a little longer. But this is the entire premise of our entire series. One of the four things is NCAA sanctions. The next thing is bad hire. And I'm not saying that Bo Pelini is a bad hire because he never had a chance to prove it one way or the other. But that would have been two out of the four things that could have happened in a few month period. And this is what we've seen everywhere else in this exact scenario. When you look at other programs like USC, for instance, they never got down to the 6 and 7 level, but at the same time, they lost their head coach, Carol Lake Trussell, and then they faced scholarship limitations like Ohio State did. They hired the wrong person, and then they didn't. And, I, and again, I understand that they wasn't 6 and 7 and then 6 and 7 again, but what happened at Ohio State was very, very special from a coaching standpoint, and I don't think that it's very far off to think that he would have lost five games that next year, or somebody else would have. Well, what... Do you think Urban Meyer is the only person who could have saved Ohio State to the extent that we're even having this conversation? That if it was anybody else, would Ohio State have been exactly what USC is dealing with right now? Or would Ohio State have been what Alabama dealt with for a couple of years? Again, maybe not like Texas or Michigan when they actually had losing seasons, but but being down by their standards, do you think anybody else? We're talking nine and three when you say down by your standards. See, no, I, I don't know, no, because that I think my whole point with this series is we're not talking nine and three. The whole point is that we're talking bad. Avoiding, we're, we're talking. We're bottom, talking. Like you stink. Yeah. Nine and three. Earl Bruce was. They called Earl Bruce old nine and three. But we're talking about how they haven't made a bad hire here. At Ohio State since Woody Hayes took over, right? Well, this yeah. is the Earl Bruce came in after Woody Hayes, and he he ended up being fired because he wasn't go- as good as people wanted him to be. But what he was was a guy who went nine and three year after year after year, and certainly Ohio State. It's not that Ohio State was irrelevant. It wasn't that Ohio State stunk. It's that they weren't elite. But I don't think I don't think we're talking about elite. Okay. With this series, I think we're talking about not stinking. Okay, here's the thing, and this is part of the the writing. This was kind of tough because there's two distinctions between this. It's being down for the standard of your program, and that's different from stinking. 
because if you look, and I'm going to use Texas as an example, Texas um, in um, the last six years, the Longhorns have lost at least five games in all but one season. The one exception to that season was a four-loss season. That doesn't mean they stink. But for What's Texas the standards, the last two years? they stink. They were, they were six and seven in 2014, and five and seven in 2015. I mean, they had they, they're coming uh, back to back losing but, seasons. They're back to back losing seasons. Eight and five seasons. Well, no, we're talking six about and seven, six and five seven, seven and five and seven the last two years. I mean, if they had only been eight and five, I don't know. But again, eight and five and nine and three aren't the same. I think that it's very possible that Polini goes eight and five in 2013, if that's what you're asking me, or 2012. Because I think that's how it starts. I think you see it all the time. And I know that Ohio State doesn't – the reason why Ohio State went 12-0 that year is because they didn't play very very many teams that could beat them from any year. But their, te- their, their season in 2012 was very, very manageable from a winning standpoint. I think Ohio State, from a talent standpoint, was very average that year. Which but Trevor Fire has said himself. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if that's that's not an insult. It just makes what they did more special. So I don't think, you know, there were there were a few games there where they could have lost, and I just don't – the thing about it is, is that, like, I don't want to come across as too complimentary of the coach that we cover because we do hold him accountable quite a bit at Cleveland.com. But when you say, is Urban Meyer the only coach in college football that could have done that, I think it's a chance that, they, that that's the case. I mean, he's doing things at a level that only one other program in college football is doing right now. So then is it that they're not indes- – so is Ohio State really not indestructible? Is it that they just had a miracle coach drop from the I clouds think, at their time of need? I think if they could – like, let's like play make-believe here for a second and think of other people they could have hired at that time who were at the top of their game in college football. Like if they would have hired Chip Kelly – they would have took Chip Kelly from Oregon and brought him to Ohio State. Chip Kelly's offense is a very enticing thing um, for high school football players. I don't know if they go 12-0 and in 2012, but I think Chip Kelly can come in here and like have a pretty good vibe around the program just yeah, the way like that he coaches football. They might have gone 10-2, and, and, and I don't know if like the right right or wrong the wrong hire would have gone 8-5, and five, and that's what we're talking about, bad hires. But I'm – well – I, we have a distinction, I think, here a little bit. It's like I'm not really talking about a bunch of consecutive years of eight and five as the absolute example of this. I'm talking about losing. Michigan went three and nine under Rich Rod, and then had another losing season like the year after. Like they stunk. Michigan yeah. couldn't beat anybody. Like I, I'm interested in that. I mean, I'm interested in Michigan had the longest streak in the country of consecutive bowl appearances. And then they went three and nine and five and seven in the first two years after Lloyd Carr was gone, Rich Rod's first two years and their good year, they were seven and six. Like he had a three year tenure with an overall losing record. Do you think Bo Pelini would have done that? I don't think he would have done that. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So, so if we're making that distinction, I also I just don't mean like the difference between down and and sucking, I think, is where you and I are not seeing eye to eye right I, now. I agree with that. I don't think Ohio State will ever suck consecutive years. Even though Texas is doing it right now. Right. And Michigan just did it. And, you were talking and about Alabama had a decade of being barely above 500 for the whole decade. Which is why we wrote this. Because those schools don't have the same setup that Ohio State okay. does. So then let's That's talk that setup. To. Let's not talk just Urban Meyer falling from the clouds, which, by the way, was a miracle. It was a freaking miracle. 
Having covered what they went through, I would have thought that cloud would have hung over them longer, and I am in agreement with you. Nobody could have lifted that cloud more quickly and more effectively than Urban Meyer did. I think it's possible with a different hire, Ohio State would be very decent right now, but yet still lingering under some type of cloud where all of a sudden 8-4, and 9-3 and three becomes the norm and you're down from your peak, but yet I still think if they were 9-3 and three and 8-4 and four on a regular basis, they would still fit this indestructible model to the degree that we would be saying, man, they're down. But this is what bad is. You know, like this right, is terrible. Right. This is their basement, and their basement is 9-3 and three or 8-4. and four. I think we agree completely in that sense. In that so sense. Yeah. that's what interests me then. And you said let's get – Let's, let's see what happens when they do it for 200 years instead of 100. So let's do that. How could they bottom out? What is their scenario of 3 and 9 and 5 and 7 in back to back years? Or 5 and 7 and 6 and 7 as Texas is doing? Texas is doing it right now. When I first got on this beat in 2005 and 2006, I did an extensive series comparing. Texas and Ohio State and how similar they were at the top of college football. They had gigantic scoreboards. They had the best facilities and the best locker rooms. They had crazy boosters who would give them all kinds of money. They had these home state talent bases. Texas and Ohio State were as indestructible as it got. Here we sit. Texas is coming off consecutive losing seasons. It is mind-boggling to me. So, give me that mind-boggling scenario for Ohio State. Bill, paint the picture. How could it happen that Ohio State could have consecutive, and I know we've we've been moving the, the ball a little bit on a 600 winning percentage or a 500 winning percentage, whatever. For this question in particular, give me the scenario for consecutive losing seasons for Ohio State. It's really tough to envision a scenario because I feel like the thing that I would say that would affect Ohio State and and get it to that level like would also affect the thing that I'm going to say would like would also affect every other team in the Big Ten. But is it possible that like the recruiting well dries up a little bit? Like we're not the first people to say that the Rust Belt is not as a powerful or fruitful football recruiting area as it once was. Ohio still has its good players, and Ohio State still gets them. But if we're in a situation where Ohio is only putting out, I don't know, between five and eight four-star kids a year, maybe even less than that, and all these powers in the areas where Ohio State likes to recruit, Florida, Georgia, Texas, California to an certain extent, all those powers come up, and it's really hard to go into those areas and get kids. And you're left basically to recruit your own backyard, and your own backyard is not as fertile as it used to be. Is that a scenario in which Ohio State could have – so could start seeing some losing seasons. Yeah. I mean, if everything happens all at the same time. Right. And right. Like, something crazy like I think I think what we're talking about, given that it's been a hundred years since it's happened, something crazy needs to happen for it to happen. Again. I believe in the premise of our series that they are indestructible in the sense that they are not gonna go three and nine. Uh, and if they do, it's gonna be because something crazy happened. Um, Ohio State, I think the state of Ohio had 142 prospects last year go to Division One. So for even 5% of those prospects to be elite-level prospects, that's still, you know, 
I don't know. I'm very terrible at math. Can somebody help me out here? Uh, it'd still be seven prospects about that would be elite-level prospects in a recruiting class that's 22 to 23. And if Ohio State is still getting their guys, then they have a third of their recruiting class already built in. And there's no other program in the country that's doing that right now, maybe outside of LSU. I have to go back and look. We did this a few years ago. Um, But I think there's a chance that we are looking at Ohio State in a different light right now because they're recruiting so well nationally that we forget that a lot of these players that are being counted on in big ways are from out of state. Um, If the Ohio State had to start only counting on people from Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati – uh, in all the areas around those cities to be the, the guys that, uh, you know, are the reason why Ohio State's competing at the highest level. I mean, I think Ohio State, to a certain extent, in the second half of Trestle's tenure, kind of got a little bit stale, uh, you know, at times when they were losing big games on the, on the national radar. So, yes, I think it's possible, but, like, right now, I think the setup that they have, just in terms of um, the number of prospects in this state and the fact that nobody's coming in and taking them, and I think that Ohio, for Ohio State to be bad, I think Michigan State and Michigan would have to be good at the same time and come in Ohio and get those guys too. So I think there's other factors in it. And the other factor too, I think, is that the Ohio State Conference isn't that – I mean, the Big Ten just isn't – the West Western Division is just not good enough. And uh, they don't play enough good games and good teams where they're susceptible to losing. They could play Purdue and Indiana a million times even when they're down and they're not going to lose those games. So – there's a lot of stuff at play here. I just think Ohio State's set up uniquely to never really be in a situation to lose nine games in the season. So I think I think another valuable comparison, I think LSU and Louisiana was a good comparison, but you guys have also written a lot and talked a lot about Georgia. Mm-hmm. And when you guys did your magnificent recruiting tour through the South on the way back from the national championship game two years ago, um, I think you did some really eye-opening stuff about Georgia and Mark Richt, who just left. In 15 years at Georgia, I would say that probably most people would say that Georgia just underachieved in that time period. However, in this list that I'm compiling of these schools who have gone the longest without losing, without having losing records in consecutive years, Georgia is fifth on that list. Georgia hasn't had consecutive losing years since 1962-63. So I think what Georgia was under Mark Richt could very well be what you're talking about as like the quote down Ohio State, mm-hmm. the kind of where you go eight and five, you go eight, you know, Mark Richt in those 15 years had one losing season. He went six and seven in 2010, um, but he won double digit games in 10 years. And it seems you know, like he, he didn't was, do anything, doesn't you know, it? He was 10 and three, 10 and three, eight and five, 12 and two, 10 and four, six and seven, eight and five, 10 and three, like, you know. Winning double-digit games more than half the time, but never really competing for a national title. I think, but on a, but but yet on the level that we're talking about, Georgia really is kind of indestructible. Like that was them being right. bad. Yeah. That was bad Georgia for 15 years. They won 10 games a year. So, um, here's my scenario. I agree with what Bill said. And before I get to my scenario, I'm going to give Ari 30 seconds to answer this question. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, if it joins the Big 12, would that influence this at all in terms of adding a power conference competitor in the state? I think it could in 20 years. I don't think it would immediately. I, I just don't. I, I think the thing that, and I'm not, and I didn't grow up in Georgia. I didn't cover Georgia. I mean, I have a unique perspective because I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I and I live in Ohio, and I've covered Ohio State for seven years now. 
there is a certain connection that kids in Ohio have growing up that Ohio State is the team that they want to play for. It's the love of the state. It is the program and the passion of so many people here in a state that cares so much about football. You do not think Cincinnati when you think about college football. Cincinnati will get a boost when it goes or if it goes to the Big 12. They will play in a bigger conference, and maybe they'll even be good. Cincinnati has had some BCS years under Brian Kelly, and it was an exciting time. But I just do not think that Cincinnati simply going into the Big 12 means they're going to go to St. Ignatius and get out, you know, beat out Urban for the kid that they want in Cleveland. You know, and if, if anything else, they might be better in Cincinnati. But Ohio State, to a certain extent, hasn't really relied on Cincinnati that much to get their top players until they had Kerry Combs a few years ago to the staff. So uh, I think it's possible that if – they have a few seasons and things change in 20, 25 years. Maybe they, they might make things more difficult, but I don't see them joining the Big 12 and then in the 2021 class, Ohio State's getting only half the kids they were usually getting in Ohio. I just don't see that happening. Here's my scenario. This is going to be good. And it, the thing is that Ohio State's lived through almost everything, even through this time when they have, they've had um, – a string of coaches from Woody Hayes to Earl Bruce to John Cooper to Jim Tressel to Urban Meyer with the one blip in there with Luke for a year. Um, they've had established coaches who have stuck around and had success, but they've done it different ways. Um, John Cooper, for as much as Ohio State fans um, may have issues with him, mostly for his record against Michigan and the fact that they had such talent and didn't get over the top with the national championship – I mean, the talent was unbelievable. Um, and a lot of it was from around the country, not in Ohio. And I think well, during that time period, as John Cooper recruited nationally, he let Michigan into Ohio a little bit. And they got guys like Desmond Howard and Charles Woodson and Elvis Gerbach. And they got some guys from Ohio who went up and made Michigan really good. So here's my scenario. Urban Meyer leaves Ohio State whenever he does. Um, during that time, we see Urban Meyer uh, – in the last half of his tenure, continued to recruit nationally at an elite level, and he continues to not focus on Ohio as much as someone like Jim Tressel did, right, Ari? Which yeah, is what that's already happening, correct? Correct. He continues that trend because it works. As a result, the person who comes in after Urban Meyer, and let's say that Urban Meyer leaves under great circumstances. He leaves of his own accord. He has a role in choosing his successor. And whoever that is, that person comes in and tries to be Urban Meyer when they are not Urban Meyer. They try to recruit nationally. They try to go to Florida without having his Florida connections. They try to go pull kids out of Texas and Georgia and Maryland and New Jersey without quite having that thing that Urban Meyer has that makes him one of the great college coaches of all time. As a result, they still are trending away from recruiting Ohio, maybe the way like someone like Jim Tressel did, um, but they don't have quite the cachet that Urban Meyer has, so maybe the people in Ohio get a little more wound up about it, and they get a little ticked off about it, that the guy at Ohio State is more worried about Florida and Georgia and Texas than he is about his own backyard. At the same time, whoever the coach is at Michigan and whoever the coach is at Michigan State, and I think this is the one, whoever the coach is at Penn State says, hey, if you're not feeling love from your home state school, Ohio kids, we got all kinds of love for you. And we're right down the road. 
And if you feel like you're option B for your home state school, you're our option A, and we'll take you into Ohio Stadium every year, and you can show them the mistakes they made. And someone tries to be Urban Meyer when he's not. And the result is a failure at the national recruiting level as they get in everybody's top five and they don't close on anybody. And they start losing kids in Ohio as Ohio starts having fewer and fewer kids under what Bill talked about, just a a population shrinkage. And the end result is Ohio State losing its backyard fertile recruiting ground, not being what it was under Urban Meyer. And obviously this would mean that that coach, whoever it is, would be a bad hire in the extent of that he wasn't trying to be his own guy and he was trying to be Urban Meyer. I do think what can happen at times, and it's dangerous for everybody, is you have you have a legend. And, and, and I think we're in the process of covering a legend right now. You know, I just talked to Paul Feinbaum the other day, who's the voice of the SEC, and he said, you know, he stated what everybody would state, which is absolutely there's two great coaches in college football. It's Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. And if Urban Meyer and Nick Saban meet again in the playoff and Urban Meyer wins, he's not so sure Urban Meyer's not better. And I think some people think Nick Saban's the best coach of all time. That's what we're talking about here. If you come in after Urban Meyer and you try to be him when you aren't him, I think you could be in for trouble. You could be a victim of his own success. And that's what everybody says. It's hard to follow the legend. You'd rather be the guy after the guy, not the guy, the guy who follows the guy who followed the guy, not the guy who followed the guy. So I think we're going to have a piece this week talking about who that next coach could be for Ohio State because it's going to be such an important hire. And I mean, it's sort of ridiculous to talk about, oh, 12 years from now, what are they going to do when they replace Urban Meyer? You know, enjoy the ride, Ohio State fans. Don't worry about who's going to replace Urban Meyer and whether Urban Meyer is going to win too many national championships. It's going to put pressure on the next guy. But I think that's your scenario. I think <laughs> that is your scenario of how you destruct because almost because you, you know, you flew too close to the sun, man. Like you were so good. You tried to live up to a standard um, that was set before you without being your own guy. And I think that can be hard for some schools. I, the guy who follows Saban, are you kidding me? <laughs> There's a stat, Urban Meyer, it's not a statue of Urban Meyer outside his own building right now. You guys went to the Saban statue, yeah, right? He took a video of it. Did that freak you out to be at a, the place where there's a statue of the coach, of the current coach? Is that normal it, to you? It was pretty bizarre. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was weird because we all knew it was there. But then once you're there and you're looking at it and you're standing outside Bryant-Denny Stadium, yeah, it's it's quite strange that there is a statue of a man who is still alive, still working at that university, about 50 steps from the front door of the football stadium. This is the tradition of the school, right? You want a title, you get a statue? Yeah, they all have them, yeah. Uh, no, it's weird. It's still weird, yeah. It would be weird, like, if we walked, I mean, there's a Woody Hayes statue when we go into work and yeah. then interview people, and there's a Jesse Owens statue at the edge of the parking lot that I like to take pictures of, if there was an Urban Meyer statue and you like walk past the statue, then you went in and were like, hi, Urban, I have a question. That would be weird. Yeah. That would be weird to me. It's not that he's undeserving because like clearly they're going to build a statue of Urban Meyer most likely when he's done here. Um, but it would be weird. Although Ohio likes building statues for people who don't deserve them like Jim Tomey. That got, that take got hot. Had to go there, sorry. Um, Okay, so that's our I don't get a statue. Sorry, I mean they're going to make a statue of me out in front of the Cleveland.com building. So I think uh, just to, to just on your point that you just made, because I I was curious what your what your scenario would be, and I think I buy it, and I think there might be people who won't entertain the idea of Ohio State alienating Ohio to the point where Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State would swoop in and take all of their guys 
and the players would go in like some kind of vindictive manner toward Ohio State. It kind of happened in Texas, and I'm not a, I'm not a Texas expert. This is just from conversations that I had with coaches, high school coaches in Texas when we were on a road trip. Uh, more than a few of them were upset with the way that Mac Brown was recruiting Texas. And if there are high school coaches in Texas who can feel alienated by the University of Texas, I think it can happen here under that scenario that you just laid out. Texas has other options, but I see. But what it's you're still it's it's the university. It's not it's not that my kid likes Texas and he likes Baylor. He's going to Baylor. It's that I am not entertaining the thought of helping my kid go to Texas in any way whatsoever because I don't like the way that Texas handled recruiting my kid. I was there. I I, I feel you. And it's one of those things. I mean, I think there is a distinction of being the home state school, but I don't know. Maybe there's not that much of a distinction. I mean, Michigan State's not that far away. You know, could Michigan is in the right scenario? Would Michigan State be as much of a competitor to Ohio State as TCU is to Texas? Dayton, Michigan State is a thing. So I mean, so you're I mean, nearby. Your parents yeah. can drive to the game. It's in the same conference. You know, like okay, it's outside the state borders. But like you said, yes, there's all those schools in Texas, but only one is the University of Texas, right. and they're mad at it. So um, enjoy it while you have it. If uh, you've been an Ohio State fan since uh, 1923, 24, mm-hmm. uh, please uh, email us or tweet <laughs> us. We'll do a story about you because you've never had someone um, say your team stinks in back-to-back years because it hasn't. Um, and that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. Because um, as we said, you know, there's one thing. I think if you're a fan, you either you want your team to be a champion um, but you also want to be uh, want to make sure your friends can't tell you that your team stinks. So if you've been an Ohio State fan, maybe there was a year here or there where somebody could say it, but they couldn't say it in two straight years. Um, and everybody else in the country, um, in places like Texas, you can say it two years in a row right now. Okay, so that was a lot of talk about uh, how long Ohio State's going to be good, 100 years or 200 years. Let's do a couple questions from the Twitter universe, Bill. Uh getting some other OSU topics from the peeps. Yeah, so I have a couple. Um, I thought this was a good question, and it it doesn't quite tie into what we were talking about, but I guess it sort of does. Uh, This is from Jack, whose uh, Twitter handle is at OH underscore IO2. He said, uh, which coach, meaning assistant coach, do you think will be the next to move on, or do you think this staff sticks together for a few years? (laughs) I have an answer to this. Uh, I have a story coming. Um, Can I answer it first? Yeah, I know who yours is going to be, and I don't want you to think I'm copying you. Is yours Greg Schiano? It's not. No. Oh, that's mine. I just think that's I'm, a good answer. The NFL guy trying to get back into the coaching ranks, defensive coordinator, close with Urban Meyer, contributes to the staff for the year, gets a job as a defensive coordinator of the NFL. By. I mean, I think Greg Schiano is still making NFL money. I think he's going to go with the first job, first head coaching job that he likes. But I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's gone after this year, right? Right. That's that's what I mean. Yeah. But but I think maybe if it's not right, I don't think he would. He's coaching for his buddy. He's he's in a great holding pattern. So I also think he could maybe wait and be a little bit picky. I thought that's exactly who you were going to say. So now I'm interested in what you have. No, but you know the story I'm working on. I talked to Luke Fickle for a while this off season, uh, and I have a story coming on Luke, um, who has been a very loyal Buckeye assistant, was the head coach here for a year, uh, has a lot of strong family ties, played here obviously, has spent basically his whole football life here. He's from the Columbus area. He played high school football for the sales. Um, and he's interested in moving on. 
in the right fit. You know, he really wants to be a head coach. I'm very interested in seeing him get a chance as a head coach in a full shot, which he didn't get here when he didn't get to hire his own staff other than Mike Vrabel. And he had to deal with that mess around him. So uh, I think Luke Fickle has earned a shot and I think he'll get one. And I think, you know, he might very well be the next guy on the list. I think those are both good answers. I think the next guy on the list is probably Luke Fickle as well. I don't know if any of them are going to leave after this season. I think you might see this coaching step back for the uh, 2017 season. Uh, another question? Good question. Real quick, yes or no? Because we're recording this on a Monday night, and the news on Monday was that Torrance Gibson was suspended for the season. Uh, will Torrance Gibson ever suit up for Ohio State? Are yes or no? Good answer. Were you swiping? I was. I. Uh, I know. I just. I'm. I don't know. I really. That's a fifty-fifty. I, I hate to be a boring. No. I mean, just for the sake of. Uh, for the sake of answering the question, but that's a very tough question to answer right now because Ohio State's in a very weird situation between wanting to stick with the kid. And if you would have asked me this before, Urban Meyer took uh, the podium today and or on Monday, excuse me, and said that. Uh, he disagrees with the idea of suspending him. When I just thought he was completely suspended because he did something dumb that he shouldn't have done and Ohio State didn't like it and the coaching staff suspended him, I thought there's a chance he's never going to play here. But the idea that Ohio State's coaching staff is against the idea that he's suspended because it's a university suspension and not a football program suspension makes me think that they want to welcome back and give him another chance. But with Ohio State's scholarship situation, they're going to be over. We talked about this on a previous podcast. We've written a lot about it. When you mess up at Ohio State right now, your scholarship's at a different premium than it has been in the past, and there's a better chance that you're not going to be back on the team. So right now, I just flip-flop my answer. I'm going to actually say, yes, he's going to be back. <laughs> but, oh, God. So when you ask, you ask for a quick yes or no, and you get a three-minute answer that is both yes and no. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a failure. I say yes, he'll be back. Yeah, I say yes, too. By the way, that question, that question was from someone whose Twitter handle is uh, TG. Zero three two six. So that might have been Torrance Gibson who asked that question. <laughs> Sorry, Torrance. <laughs> All right. Uh, another question on Twitter from at Nikki Rubenstein, who's asked the question before. Nikki Rubenstein is also a character from Anthrosh. It was hilarious. Uh, which presumed starter is in jeopardy of being passed on the depth chart? Uh, I think there's a pretty obvious answer to that, and I think it's Chris Worley at outside linebacker. Is there a more obvious answer than that? Yes, there's a more obvious answer. Am I an idiot? You're not an idiot. You can say it. I'd say Michael Hill. On the defensive oh, yeah. line, a defensive tackle, because Draymond Jones, who I I just in fact <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Draymond Jones because uh, he was a star of bowl practice. He missed last year with an injury. He's a Northeast Ohio kid. I think he's a long rangy guy who's going to be a really good fit and an athletic guy, a tackle. I think he might be the next Adolphus Washington. They keep talking about him as a guy who's going to play. Michael Hill and Tracy Sprinkle at defensive tackle had chances to play in the past, and they weren't happy with their defensive tackle depth, and now they're the starters. I'm waiting for Draymond Jones to take a starting job, and I think he's the guy I'd bet on that could be starting by the end of the month. Yeah, that's a better answer than Chris Worley. Do you have one? I I think those are the two most. Yeah. Okay, one last question for me, and then I think, Doug, you might have a couple. Um, Joe, whose Twitter handle is at Joe underscore Cavs, do you guys think Tyler Durbin can win the starting kicking job, or is this Nuremberger's job when he comes back? That was more news from Monday. Sean Nuremberger has an injured groin, apparently has missed a lot of camp, and Tyler Durbin, who is known for being a soccer player at James Madison and a guy who kicked a 62-yard field goal in practice the other day, will be Ohio State's starting kicker. 
against Bowling Green, and I guess for the foreseeable future until Sean Nurnberger gets back, I think it's very possible that Sean Nurnberger like doesn't kick a ball again at Ohio State. If he last year he's a scholarship kicker who got passed by a graduate tra- transfer last year, who we thought was just going to handle kickoff duties, and then all of a sudden Jack Willoughby was kicking field goals, and now Tyler Durbin has the job because of injury. But if Tyler Durbin is good, I don't see why Urban Meyer would take Tyler Durbin out of the kicking spot. So I think it's certainly on the table for Sean Nurnberger to lose his job. Agree. I saw Sean Nurnberger go like one for nine on the first day of fall camp on 30-yard field goals. That's kind of an exaggeration, but he was struggling big time. I think there's a distinct possibility that Bill is correct. Sorry, I was looking through my I, – I, when I flag questions, I like them on Twitter, and I was looking through my likes, and there was one from a Lizzie McGuire Twitter account. I was trying to figure out why that was in there, but it was a VMA joke. Sorry. I didn't watch the VMAs. I think I'm kind of glad I did not watch them. Okay, we have a question from Chi-Town Buckeye, who is a loyal, loyal – Chi-Town Buckeye 5, loyal uh, Twitter follower. Thanks, Chi-Town. Um, do you see JT Barrett as a viable Heisman candidate? All right, this is a gambling question. He is at plus 2,300 right now. Thanks. So what, what's plus 2,300? What If you bet 10 bucks, what would you win? Uh, you'd win 230 I mean, for a $10 bet, I guess that's a good bet. I don't think he is. No, I think there's two. I think there are a lot of guys ahead of him on the list, and I just am not necessarily looking at – I think they're going to throw it more. I don't know that he's going to put up Heisman numbers, though. He had 45 touchdowns in 2014 and finished a distant fifth. Fifth. Um, And I think if he has 45 touchdowns this season, you have to be feeling pretty good about that. I don't know if that's enough with Deshaun Watson and Christian McCaffrey – and Leonard Fournette, and Derrick Henry, and Dalvin Cook. There are a lot of guys out there who are already ranked ahead of the Heisman race. It's crazy, but a lot of the legwork you do in the Heisman race is done in like July and August when no one's playing football games, and those guys are all being talked about more than JT Barrett is for the Heisman. You know, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. JT Barrett is obviously a very good football player. I mean, to argue against that would be ridiculous. I don't think he's one of the best players in college football. I think he's like a good leader. I think he's a really good quarterback to have on your team. I mean, if I was drafting on dynamic playmaker, I'll take anybody on my roster, he just wouldn't be at the top of my list. There's guys that Bill mentioned. There's some other guys out there that I just would have higher. It's it's no offense to him, but I just think he's a cut below the Heisman conversation. And I think, I mean, it it is, and everyone says this, it's a stats, stats are heavily weighed when deciding who should win the Heisman Trophy, because if they weren't, I think Derrick Henry probably wouldn't have won last year. Um, So if JT Barrett does have a season, I think, I don't know, if he has 50 touchdowns, 50 total touchdowns, and he throws for 3,000 yards, and he's hovering around 1,000 rushing yards, then we're talking about a guy who's in the Heisman conversation. I just, I mean, that's a crazy good season, and I don't think that's out there. I think even if he's as good as he was in 2014, it's not good enough to win the Heisman. All right, so this was long. Um, That's our podcast. It's Buckeye Talk. It's the Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage crew. You can find us at Cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, You can find our podcast on iTunes, um, and you can find our coverage every day, all season long, uh, the best Buckeye coverage around. So for Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman, I'm Doug Maurice, and thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk.